Hello, this is Jean Anzanakis. Welcome to another podcast of U.S. History Repeated. Today, we are once again flipping the script, and Jimmy is going to go into a little more detail on the California Gold Rush. Be sure to visit our website and social media channels to submit your email address. We are going to be hosting history happy hours, lesson plan sharing, and best practices. Get on the email list for all things Jimmy and Jean. Before we get into our episode, first, a quick shout out to our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you in part by Keen Insights Internet Services. That's K-E-E-N-I-N-S-I-T-E-S. Go see our friends at Keen Insights for all of your internet marketing needs. Next, EliteBookEdits.com. Writing, writing, wherever it's wrong. Go see our friends over at EliteBookEdits.com for all of your book editing needs, both fiction and nonfiction. Lastly, a little plug for myself. I had a book called Unified Marketing Strategy published in April of 2021. This is for business owners, CEOs, or anybody interested in marketing, advertising, and a unified marketing strategy. Also, during the course of the COVID lockdown, I was working on a few screenplays, which I am now in the process of getting published. Be on the lookout for Immortals Revelations, a story about vampires who want to reveal themselves to the world and then things go terribly wrong as well as The Naughty List, which is a fun Christmas-themed romantic comedy where two people who are independently helping Santa get people off the naughty list are kind of matched up together. All right. Today, we get into some of the specifics on how this one event changed the course of history for the territory of California, hastened its road to statehood, impacted the United States and global economy, and helped to shape the culture of California. Sutter's Mill, the spot of the first gold discovery, made many people wealthy, except for the man who owned the land. He would be driven into poverty and leave the state of California altogether. So we're not saying you're a gold digger, but if you went to California in 1849, you may have very well been. Jimmy, take it away. Okay, thank you, Jeannie. The California gold rush began on January 24th. 1848, when gold was found by James W. Marshall at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California. The news of gold brought approximately 300,000 people to California from the rest of the United States and abroad. Fun fact, the gold rush was the largest mass migration in U.S. history. Here are the numbers. In March of 1848, there were roughly 157,000 people in the California territory, 150,000 Native Americans, 6,500 of Spanish or Mexican descent, and fewer than 800 non-Native Americans. So 20 months later, following the massive influx of settlers, the population soared by an additional 100,000, and the people just kept coming. By the mid-1850s, there were more than 300,000 new arrivals, and one in every 90 people in the United States was living in California. All of these people... And all of this money helped fast-track California to statehood. The sudden influx of gold into the money supply reinvigorated the American economy, and the sudden population increase allowed California to go rapidly to statehood in the Compromise of 1850, which we discussed in a previous podcast. Gold was discovered earlier in California, and as early as March 9, 1842, at Rancho San Francisco in the mountains north of present-day L.A., A California native, Francisco Lopez, was searching for stray horses and happened to find a small nugget of gold. He looked further and found more gold. I'm sure we can all imagine his surprise when he found out how much it was worth. 
Other minor finds of gold in California were also made by Mission Indians prior to 1848. The friars instructed them to keep its location secret in order to avoid a gold rush. On January 24th, 1848, James Marshall found shiny metal in the lumber mill he was building for Sacramento pioneer John Sutter. Known as Sutter's Mill near Coloma on the American River, Marshall brought what he found to Sutter and the two privately tested the metal. After the tests showed that it was in fact gold, Sutter hoped to keep the news quiet because he knew the frenzy that this would cause. Having sworn all concerned at the mill to secrecy, in February 1848, Sutter sent Charles Bennett to Monterey to meet with Colonel Mason, the chief U.S. official in California, in the hopes of securing mineral rights of the land where the mill stood. He was worse than a two-year-old. He told a number of people and Sutter didn't get the land rights he hoped for. Stories of the gold spread further. Stories were printed in newspapers, even papers on the East Coast. Cue the people selling mining supplies. Those who rushed to mine the area became known as the 49ers. Poor Mr. Sutter, just as he had feared, his business plans now became destroyed, his workers left in search of gold, and to add insult to injury, squatters took over his land and stole his crops and cattle. The population of San Francisco grew rapidly from about 1,000 in 1848 to 25,000 full-time residents by 1850. Living conditions were hard. You have people living in tents or even deck cabins that had been removed from abandoned ships. As the population grew, so did the demand for supplies. A lot of the crew members aboard the merchant ships deserted and left to go seize their chance to strike it rich. The ships could not sail back crewless, so the ships were taken apart to make lodgings. So now once gold was found in California, people had to figure out how to get there. There was no easy way to get to California. Many died along the way. At first, most Argonauts, as they were also known, traveled by sea. One could expect a four- to five-month voyage around the tip of South America to get from the East Coast. What did people do with all of that time? Many times they gambled. Another option was to go through Panama, which required canoes and a journey through the jungle. Asian immigrants traveled across the Pacific and sailed into the port of San Francisco. By 1850, most of the easily accessible gold had been collected, and in order to extract the gold from more difficult locations, it required heavy machinery and loans from wealthy eastern financiers. Such a large influx of people in such a short amount of time pushed Native Americans off of what was their traditional lands. Many Native American groups fought back to protect their homes and livelihood. This provoked counterattacks on Native villages. It's another example of guns, germs, and steel. Outweapon, diseases, massacres, and starvation all heavily impacted the Native American tribes. So now, who were these 49ers? They were the first miners to rush the mines. They were comprised of Native Californians, settlers from the Oregon Territory, immigrants from Mexico, and other Latin American countries who traveled with their families. Each person within a family was expected to do their part. Women and children would even work alongside their husbands and fathers. Some early arrivals were able to earn the equivalent of six years' worth of wages in only a few months. Not everyone would be as lucky. Others made a lot of money building supply businesses, boarding houses, and taverns. Later, we see the arrival of the Chinese, Australian, New Zealand, and European immigrants all hoping to try their luck in the mines. They truly believed that the streets were paved with gold. Not all miners were treated the same. Chinese immigrants were treated especially harsh and earned much less pay than their white counterparts. 
conditions within the mines were dangerous, and many women and children became widows and orphans. We often think of those images of people panning in water for gold, and and there was some of that, but it required tunnels being dug, water diverted from rivers, and some of these extraction methods put a variety of pollutants into water supplies that still impact the area today. One of those was amalgamation. When mercury is brought into contact with gold particles in sediments of or, or crushed ore, it forms amalgam, a soft mixture of roughly 50% mercury and 50% gold. Now, to recover the gold from the amalgam, it is heated to evaporate the mercury, leaving the gold behind. I looked up this process and found a very cool YouTube video that both showed and explained the process. We will put this link to both the podcast description as well as on our website. I encourage you to take a look. Okay, so it was it was pretty lawless at the time, and the benefit to being a 49er was that the gold was, was kind of free for the taking at first. In the gold fields at the beginning, there was no private property, no licensing fees, and no taxes. Rules attempted to balance the rights of early arrivers at a site with later arrivers. A claim could be staked by a prospector, but that claim was only valid as long as it was being actively worked. So if you have brothers and sisters or friends, this system is the equivalent of, I called it, front seat, I called it. Miners worked a claim only long enough to determine its potential. If a claim was deemed as low value, as most were, miners would abandon the site in search of a better one. In the case where a claim was abandoned or not worked, other miners would then claim jump the land. Claim jumping meant that a miner began work on a previously claimed site. So this is like not calling the five-minute rule when you get up from your seat when watching something with a large group of people. You know, you get up, go to the bathroom, five-minute rule. And then you get to get that seat when you get back. In this case, it was move your feet, lose your seat, you were out of luck. And disputes were often handled personally, violently, and were sometimes addressed by groups of prospectors acting as arbiters. Moving on, there were many more men than women that made up this population in California now. In the large absence of women, some migrant young men reorganized their social and sexual practices. Cross-dressing became common practice for some, and a social fluidity that was not common practice for the time in other areas of the country shaped the roots or beginnings of the LGBTQ plus history that San Francisco is so widely known for today. Let's move on now and back to the gold and talk about some of the profits. Merchants made far more money than miners during the gold rush. The wealthiest man in California during the early years of the rush was Samuel Brannan, a tireless self-promoter, shopkeeper, and newspaper publisher. Most late arrivals ended up losing money. As Boomtown turned to coast towns, those who had set up businesses went bust. One businessman who went on to great success was Levi Strauss who first began selling denim overalls in San Francisco in 1853. Who'd have thunk? Jeans, huh? Brothels also brought in large profits, especially when combined with saloons and gaming houses. Entertainment, right? 
So by 1855, the economic climate had changed dramatically. Gold could be retrieved profitably from the gold fields only by medium to large groups of workers, either in partnerships by big corporations that went to California. By the mid-1850s, it was the owners of these gold mining companies who made the money. Also, the population and economy of California had become large and diverse enough that money could be made in a wide variety of conventional businesses. So where did the gold go? For some lucky miners, they used it for purchases ranging from the practical, like food supplies, a place to live, and to the impractical, like booze, prostitutes, and gambling. My kind of guys. After all, they were, <laughs> after all, they were in the wild, wild west. Many of those supplies came from merchants from all around the world. For those who traveled to California from various countries in Asia and Europe, they sent gold back home. It is, it is believed that $80 million of California gold went to France. A good majority of the gold went back to New York City's brokerage houses. Now, if you listen to our previous podcast on the history of money in the U.S., you will recall some of the next few items. As the gold rush progressed, local banks and gold dealers issued banknotes or drafts, locally accepted paper currency, in exchange for the gold and private mints created gold coins. With the building of the San Francisco Mint in 1854, gold bullion was turned into official United States gold coins for circulation. The gold was also later sent by California banks to U.S. national banks in exchange for national paper currency to be used in the booming California economy. Without the California gold rush, California would never become a state as quickly as it did. With that one event, you see tremendous population growth, the chartering of towns, cities, schools, the building of roads, the need for better transportation and communication to better connect the economies of the eastern and western United States. One story I find interesting is the story of the ill-fated SS Central America. This was a ship that sank in a hurricane off the coast of the Carolinas in 1857 with approximately three tons of California gold abroad. Now, you may be wondering, was this ship ever recovered? The answer was yes. On September 11th, 1988, the wreck was finally located at a depth of 7,200 feet about 160 miles off the coast of South Carolina by Nemo, a vessel operated by Thompson's Columbus America Discovery Group. Your next question should be, did they salvage the gold? Yes, they did. Over 7,000 gold coins were recovered from the SS Central America during the shipwreck's discovery in 1988, exactly 131 years after its last voyage. And by the way, I also looked up how much gold may still be, you know, quote unquote, at sea in shipwrecks. And I found that there's probably about $60 billion to be a conservative estimate. So if you want to go and start looking in the sea, be a pirate, look for buried treasure, there you go. With all of the positives the gold rush brought, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the negative impact this had on Native Americans. I mentioned a little bit earlier, it ended their way of life. It, it really did. Big game animals have been killed off, pollution destroyed habitats, rising populations saw traditional hunting grounds taken over or destroyed. Then you also have the violent conflicts between the settlers and the Native American tribes. Acts of violence towards settlers often led to large-scale 
retribution against the tribes. Historian Benjamin Madley recorded the numbers of killings of California Indians between 1846 and 1873 and estimated that during this period, at least 9,400 to 16,000 California Indians were killed by non-Indians, mostly occurring in more than 370 massacres, which is defined as the intentional killing of five or more disarmed combatants or largely unarmed non-combatants, including women, children, and prisoners, whether in the context of battle or otherwise. So when you hear in today's day and age, you know, the massacre of, you know, a massacre is the intentional killing of five or more disarmed, blah, blah, blah. So how does the gold rush still impact us today? California has been a hub of success for a number of different industries, farmers, oil drillers, movie makers, airplane builders, computer and microchip makers, and dot-com entrepreneurs. Today, it's big tech companies like Facebook, Google, and others. California's state motto is Eureka, which means I have found it. Its nickname is the Golden State, and the signs along the state highways in California are in the shape of a miner's spade. If you live in California or have traveled along the aptly named Route 49, you may have noticed that it travels through a number of towns built during the Gold Rush era, and many historic buildings have been preserved. Also during the Gold Rush, Death Valley, the desert in Eastern California that is known as one of the hottest places on Earth, received its name in 1849 during the height of the Gold Rush when 13 prospectors attempting to reach the gold fields died. The incident became part of popular lore, and the valley received its ominous name. The San Francisco 49ers received their name in homage to the Gold Rush. Thousands of Gold Rush prospectors got rich, but John Sutter wasn't one of them. John Sutter, the man who had hoped to build a mill on the land that would become synonymous with the California Gold Rush, was a Swiss immigrant who came to the U.S. in hopes of a better life. He left Switzerland and his debts behind. He received the land grant from the governor of California when it still belonged to Mexico. The Spanish-American War and the discovery of gold on his land would change his feet and not for the better. Most of his workers had abandoned him to search for gold themselves, while thousands of other prospectors destroyed much of his land and equipment. He wouldn't have the same good fortune as some of the other people that went there. He left California, moved to Pennsylvania, and died while in Washington, D.C., petitioning the U.S. government to be reimbursed for the loss of his land. California's name became indelibly connected with the gold rush, and fast success in a new world became known as the California dream. California was perceived as a place of new beginnings where great wealth could reward hard work and good luck. Historian H.W. Brands noted that in the years after the gold rush, the California dream spread across the nation. The old American dream was the dream of the Puritans, of Benjamin Franklin's poor Richard, of men and women content to accumulate their modest fortunes a little at a time, year by year by year. The new dream was a dream of instant wealth, one in a twinkling by audacity and good luck. This golden dream became a prominent part of the American psyche only after Sutter's Mill. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.